everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Catherine Druckmann. Joining me, as always, is Doc Searles. Today, we have two very special guests. One of them is Sean Powers, who I'm sure you've heard before uh, on our show and elsewhere. And the other is Don Marty, who is another returning guest. Uh, Don is... Well, I'm not sure how we should introduce you. You are a man of many talents. You were, in fact, one time the editor of Linux Journal. You were also with Mozilla in the past. You have been involved in a lot of interesting privacy initiatives, but we can get into that a little bit later if you want to introduce yourself a little more. And today we're talking about some issues surrounding uh, privacy and regulation. And with that, I will pass it to Doc and let him get us started. Yeah, I, I, I'll just start by saying that this is this is once again, as it is every week, the Linux Journal in exile. I know. Inevitably, the conversation really turns I mean, back to this. There's, there's a, a, a Don was, um, um, I think, the best uh, editor-in-chief we ever had at Linux Journal. He was fantastic. And uh, um, I, anyway, but uh, the, the just a, a little bit of history. We, this is my case. In the absence of any of enough tech on our side that gave us privacy. Um, we've come to depend on regulation to give us some of that, or at least try. And that got brought us the GDPR in Europe in, uh, in 2018 or enforceable in 2018. On our anniversary, by the way, May 25th, uh, 2018. And um, uh, that's my wife and my anniversary, by the way. And then, um, uh, and then later the CCPA in California, which gave California residents something that says, say you can opt out of having your data sold. Um, and that was suddenly lots of lawyers got employed in California. And that law uh, got enf enlarged a bit with a proposition last year and, and further lawmaking that Don knows more about than anybody I know. Um, there may be more that people know more than he does, but he, <laughs> operatively speaking, that Don is more quotable and, and deep thinking on the subject than anybody else. So, so give us your premise on this, Don, and tell us where, where you think we're at with it. Well, I think I'm the only person I know who uses the CCPA shell command. So if I see a company that I'm not sure about what they're doing with my personal information, I can just say CCPA and then type in their privacy address and it'll send out a pretty long generic boilerplate letter that I've been working on. Um, my standard, my standard opt-out actually covers the European Union, um, California, and Kenya, although I can probably stick another couple on there. So um, for most people, though, who haven't taken the time to set up um, a, a system for doing opt-outs, uh, they can really be a time suck. So regulation is part of the puzzle, but once you have a legal and regulatory framework in place, there's still a, a bunch of software development remaining to be done to make sure that, that companies are really reflecting what people want to have done with their personal info. Can I interject really quick that, that my part in, in this today will largely be the point of devil's advocate. One, because I'm not an expert on the, on the topic, but I've had a lot of experience with frustrations with, uh, with dealing with the, the privacy issues. So um, I, Catherine's probably going to edit this part out when I say like, I'm all in favor of privacy and having control over your stuff. She'll edit that out. So I just sound like a guy who wants to give everybody my data or whatever. No, but um, yeah, so I, I just want to preface whatever I say from here on out with the idea that um, there are some frustrations with like the GDPR that um, I, I hope that it's the kind of thing that uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll I'll let it go from there, but um, just so you know, when I say stuff in the future in this podcast, I'm not anti-privacy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not editing in anything. It's all too good. It's too good. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to look back at a law that passed in the USA that was not related to privacy or personal data at all. It was. Um, a law called the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, 
And it has to do with a bunch of forms and reports that companies have to turn in to the EPA when they have hazardous materials on the premises. And back when RICRA came out, people were, were complaining, this thing is imposing so much of a paperwork burden on us. It's so much of a hassle. Um, the cost to all these regular companies of complying with this law uh, are going to be really great. We're gonna we're gonna have to spend so much time on paperwork uh, that we're not going to be able to to make anything or sell anything. And what we ended up seeing with RICRA is kind of the the great cleanup of marginal hazardous materials. It turned out that there was a bunch of stuff kind of lying around in the back of various businesses that wasn't really doing them that much good, but just creating some little extra hazmat risk. So instead of having to turn in all the paperwork for dealing with a bottle of some stuff you rarely use, uh, companies made the choice to, um, to uh, do some, some cleanup and reorganization so the cost of complying with RICRA was, was never as great as the most uh, pessimistic um, businesses made it out to be. So, so, so then what we're proposing is that, uh, but by you sending your long form to everybody when you hit your CCPA shell command, that's kind of one of the ways that, it, that the cost of the cost of collecting and keeping data or in the CCPA's terms of uh, putting yourself as a company in a position to sell it um, is exceeded by the cost of, of compliance, basically. Yeah, yeah. Every, every marketing budget has different um, areas that you, can, that you can sink your money into. And some of those areas present a greater privacy risk and some of them are less costly uh, in terms of privacy risk. And what we've seen, and, and Doc, I know you and I have talked about this subject before on other podcasts, is that um, some of the uses of marketing money that present relatively little privacy risk are also those that result in supporting some kind of ad supported content or other resource. So the less money that flows into tracking, the more is available for content creation. Now, obviously there's gotta be enough information about the audience that's being reached for that marketing budget line item to justify itself. But once there's a, um, a shift in the balance of marketing budgeting to avoid some of those privacy risks and compliance costs, then you end up with more of that budget being available for new content and uh, uh, and even other ad-supported resources like bus benches. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, like I, I wrote a piece called uh, Separating Advertising's Wheat and Chaff, which was totally informed by the, the work you did for me and uh, way back when, when I was writing The Intention Economy and uh, and schooling me on the fact that um, uh, plain old brand advertising, which, you know, it starts with, you got to know who your audience is. Okay. I'm in the sports section because I want to reach the sports uh, fans, uh, for example, or if I'm in the fashions, it's in the, in, in the lifestyle section, say of a newspaper in, in old terms, but that, um, but that's it. Every brand name known to the world was made that way. Um, it's made with the bus cards. It's made with with 
uh, brand advertising and television, none of which is tracking based and in fact has no cognitive overload on it. You know where it's coming from, you know how it got there, you know what it's doing there. And, and it makes the brands and it supports journalism and it supports content development. Whereas direct marketing, which is basically what tracking based advertising is trying to do, it's called advertising, it looks like advertising, but in fact, because it's aimed at people personally or as personally as, as they can make it, is actually a different breed of animal. And it's, it isn't so much that we wanna get rid of direct marketing as long as it's permitted, but having to opt out of it on a case-by-case -case basis is pretty labor intensive. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the positive aspects of the California Consumer Privacy Act is that it recognizes the time burden on individuals of dealing with individual privacy decisions. And CCPA has two good features to it that, um, that make it more practical for somebody like me to use than uh, some of the other proposed state privacy laws. And those two features are global privacy controls and authorized agents. And global privacy controls, if you go to globalprivacycontrol.org, uh, it's a very simple um, uh, signal that you can ask your browser to send to, in effect, pre-check all those CCPA opt-outs for you. Um, and authorized agent, Authorized agent is a service that you can sign up for, and uh, that service will then go around to um, the various companies that might be trading in your data and apply that opt-out on your behalf. So they're kind of they're kind of complementary tools. The global privacy control gets websites that you actually visit or log into. And the authorized agent gets some of those companies in the background that uh, you don't have a direct connection to, but they know who you are. So when I look up authorized agents in CCPA, the top result, at least on my browser this one time I tried it, is Microsoft. And Microsoft wants to be your authorized agent, I think. Does that make sense? Is that, I think it does. I'm, oh, I'm, it's, a, it's a tremendous opportunity for them. Yeah. Um, the, the, authorized agent research project that um, uh, that we did at Consumer Reports. Um, I did a, a project with them over the summer in, in yeah. 2020. And I participated we got, in that. I was one of those. Yes, yes, yeah. you were one of our, uh, you were one, one of, of our test things. subjects. So yeah. we opted out of a few companies on, on your behalf. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the really interesting thing about that authorized agent project is we had a whole plan where we were going to send out multiple emails and reminders. We're going to hit various lists and everyone who's signed up to participate with consumer reports as a volunteer for, for um, whatever project, whether it's water quality or, or, um, or surveys. So we had this, this idea that we're going to, going to send out, mail to multiple lists and remind people multiple times. And we did one email to our first list and instantly filled up the entire study. So mm. considered as a direct mail offer, uh, authorized agents are incredibly appealing. What you're saying sounds like awesome like this is this is going to be you know, this is revolutionary and, and and it should really change how we interact with the internet and, and how we interact with advertisers but but my experience is that if i if if i search or say depending on what room i'm in in my house all of the data that you know for companies where i am the product like facebook you know the the i am the product right i mean I, i'm i'm my data is what they they make money from it seems like regardless of how many rules and laws there are in place either they aren't following the rules or they are getting around the rules by a technicality or the rules are such that i, I have to do something that isn't clear uh, to stop 
all of my data from being used. I mean, seriously, every website I go to is targeted ads. Um, and, and maybe it is because the, the, the legal piece is there, but the rest of it isn't. So that, that's a frustration that I have. It seems like, like all of these privacy issues are in place, but they don't do anything. The other side of that though is I, I work for a company where um, I, I make training and I want to hear feedback from our clients, right? I mean, these are paid clients. They're not, you know, the, the client isn't our product, right? If we make a product, they buy the product. We had a, an interaction or, or an integration with Slack. You're probably familiar with Slack. And there was a, a third party company that was collecting feedback from our users. And there was an integration where though that feedback would come into a Slack channel. So me as a trainer, a content creator could see that and I would be able to either respond or at least see it and, and be able to change how I, I did contract. Because of GDPR, we had to disable that integration because for some reason, the third party company that was getting information, they didn't comply with something that allowed us to integrate and get that information. So all they all we could get is uh, somebody in the company got a, a sheet of information that was uh, anonymized and stuff. And I, I get the point of that, but the frustration is we lost a huge advantage um, and the people didn't have the opportunity to say, yes, I, I want the person to see this. They were making comments thinking Sean's gonna see this and Sean couldn't see this because of the rules that were in place that we had to follow. We didn't have a choice. And yet if, if I do a Google search for turtle, I'm gonna get every kind of turtle based ad on every website and every app in my phone for months. So there's a frustration there. And I guess, what is the answer? Is, is it a lack of my ability to um, manage my privacy or, or what's, what's help me, help me Obi-Wan. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll be done. I guess, Please, I'll be done. <laughs> I guess I guess I come at, at it from the point of view of someone who was a Linux user in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, I've come along with I, I try to hook up some piece of hardware and it's a this thing doesn't work on Linux. And so you have to kind of combine hardware hacking and configuration and flipping dip switches and writing X for 86 mode lines and digging around and finding the right modem in its string to make your dial up connection a little bit faster. And I mean, I'd have, I'd have my, my screwdriver and my Linux reinstallation media <laughs> out um, more often than uh, I want to admit. And that's kind of that, that early days of Linux flavor is kind of where we are with privacy stuff now. So I will CCPA a company and get back a message from them saying, well, actually we don't have your personal information. And then, so I have to go read the Facebook custom audiences documentation and find out, well, this is how you're supposed to hash somebody's email address to pass it through as a Facebook custom audience. And so this company that I'm trying to see CPA actually has the hashed value of my email address, not the original. And so I get, I get into these, these 30 or 40 message email threads with people and um, I've got I've got enough material from individual CCPA requests to do an entire talk at a privacy conference. So the the dorking around with privacy stuff is definitely at the early stages. And I I know that um, as a dad, I'm allowed to use the expression, these kids today have it easy. But when I see these kids today with their Chromebooks who just open up this Linux laptop and it does all the right stuff and they've never had to even learn what a mode line is, then um, that's where I anticipate that a lot of this privacy stuff is going to be uh, within five or 10 years. So we're halfway there? Living on a prayer? 
I mean, oh, we're getting we there. Are, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we are at a phase where a lot of the companies that kind of that kind of got started as the tail end of the Linux and open source movement have turned into surveillance marketing companies. So it's kind of a, it's, I, I think of it as an opportunity for the next generation of companies to do to this generation of uh, Linux nerds turned surveillance marketers what uh, what our generation did to uh, the the old uh, um, uh, MCSEs or whatever uh, whatever the previous generation of IT was so so what do I do I mean not, not to put too fine of a point on it but you know what's my what's my job I'm a, I'm a pretty nerdy guy I, I, right I, I, I want to I want to just interject something for a second I want to get a fact-finding thing with, with Don <laughs> Don and I both live in California you're in Michigan uh, Catherine's in Texas. I, I believe because of a VPN to other places that I'm not seeing the CCPA stuff if I appear to be coming from an IP address outside of California. Meaning, if that's the case, then what you need to do may not be what other people need to do. Unless you want a VPN into California, Sean. But I don't know. What do you What do you think, Don? Oh, I I think that there's um, there's some opportunity for people to um, to set up their uh, Eurosona, kind of like a fursona, but for being <laughs> European. Um, so, so I like that. If you get a if you get a chance to go over to Europe, uh, buy a burner sim and make accounts on everything that you think you're going to need an account on. Um, but the the opportunity for somebody outside of California is uh, a lot of it is organizing. So Consumer Reports has a publication out, which is the model privacy law. And um, some of the features that make CCPA practical to use in California are features that didn't make it into um, some of the, the other privacy laws coming along in different states. So if you get a chance to grab that model privacy law and get in touch with your state legislators and say, hey, here's, here's a, a set of, um, here, here's a set of stuff that we know should work based on experience in California and elsewhere, then that'll help uh, move your state uh, further along. Is this the Consumer Reports Model State Privacy Act you're talking of? That's it. Okay, I got it. <laughs> I'm putting these things into the chat, which may make it onto the website. There we go. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I'll save these. Yeah, we like that. Did that um, help you with what you're going to do, Sean? I'm sorry, I interrupted, Kathy. I'll be honest, not 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 terribly, um, because I I okay. Remember, I'm the devil's advocate here. I. When I open up Facebook this next time and I check my messages or whatever, I, am I am I supposed to do all of these things in order to make the experience different for everybody? Or is it my personal responsibility to try to stop my data from getting out? And and to be clear on that, my data is out there, right? I mean, not only legally is it out there i'm sure i mean like i said facebook has it everybody has it but uh, i mean data breaches come into this too right there's a lot of shady actors that aren't going to follow the laws and so you know i mean my data is not private at this point anyway it, it's hard to get passionate about um privacy when everything is already out there and exposed and it's like yeah i don't want this company to use my data so I, I guess I want to know how to how to stop them from using my data, but at the same time, they might actually be responsible with my data. Whereas you know the the guy who harvested a data breach is going to do horrible things to me, and is it a terrible attitude to say, well, what does it matter anyway? Yeah, that's a terrible yeah. attitude. But at the same time, it's like, am I going to put so much effort into learning what the Consumer Reports Advocacy CCPA thing is when at the end of the day, it might make very little difference to my living experience. 
that's frustrating for me. Yeah. But yeah. If and somebody makes it easier for you, are you going to then adjust your behavior? I probably would, to be quite honest, if, if I knew exactly yeah. what to do, like, remember the do not call lists that never really worked either because that only stopped people who followed the rules and you still get robocalls a thousand times a day. I, I filled out all those forms when there was a place I could go and put my number in for, you know, stopping those calls. I did it. I, I do want and I desire my data to be my data, but if I'm going to put so much effort into it for no actual end of the day difference, it's, it feels like a waste of time. And that breaks my heart to say that, but I'm, I'm just yeah. trying to be realistic. Yeah. And realistically, there's no such thing as quote my data. And if, if you go to brunch and your friend's spouse, who's a big Instagram user brings a camera to brunch, you're probably not going to raise a big privacy nerd stink. And congratulations, your face is all over uh, the, the Facebook empire. Or if you um, have a relative who decides to use one of those DNA services, congratulations, your DNA is in the system now too. So people are social animals and we have family relationships with each other. We have social and friendship relationships with each other. We have business relationships with each other. There's no my data, your data. Pretty much every piece of data has one person on one side and one person on the other side, at least. So when we, when we think about what are we going to do about uh, protecting, uh, protecting privacy, yes, part of what we can do is do the privacy nerd thing of building my own individual Linux box and tweaking it out. And part of it has to be in the, uh, in, within a social space or um, a governance space. So what would you recommend as sort of a middle ground? Like, let's say I, I just, I can't get there in terms of the level of effort. Um, but, you know, for, for let's say your average, I don't know, even, you know, not a Linux user, a Mac user or, or whatnot, um, what sort of, what is your recommended setup for in terms of browser extensions or tools? Do you recommend everyone use Tor? Do you recommend Privacy Badger or Ghostery or whatever else there is out there or the DuckDuckGo tools or any of that? Well, I think, I think Apple Safari has done a good job on default privacy settings to get a combination of settings that work for um, a regular user without having to dink around with them too much. So if you are a Mac user and Safari comes with your Mac anyway, then you're probably in pretty good shape using that one. Uh, the big area where you can have a lot of impact on uh, personal privacy is which apps you install on your phone. And so uh, because the native mobile platforms have not been uh, as good historically with privacy protection as the web browser scene has been, um, I, would, I would say if you must use Facebook or Instagram for business purposes or family members or whatever, then just use it from Safari. Don't have the app on your phone. That's, that's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest step that most people can take. That seems reasonable and so, easy to do. I think that's half the battle, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, just go through your apps. And if you don't, if you don't actually need them, um, take that, take the app off your phone. Do you think all the legal, legal responses and in, in the, GDPR is just the one that I remember the initials of, so I'm going to say that most often. And I also like peer reviewed a course on on it, so I, I'm mm -hmm. slightly familiar with it. Do you think that that is is making a a significant change in data privacy in general, or is it is it more the technology that we do like not using apps and you know using the Brave browser, whatever whatever we want to do? Um, do you think that that is going to impact the the end user? more? I mean, obviously it's a combination, but what significance are these laws 
uh, versus taking it on, you know, uh, on your own and, and taking responsibility for your own privacy using tools like you mentioned. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a two-sided approach. And um, on one side, the marketing business is trying to get people to change their behavior. Uh, we want you to buy a specific product is the common call to action. Um, on the other side, people also have the ability to influence marketing. And, and marketing is out there with stacks and stacks of money and they can use that for sponsoring stuff you actually want to read or they can use that in ways that don't benefit you or create risks for you. So as an individual, you have, you have some ability to change how those marketers approach the, the situation they're in and get them to reallocate in ways that are more constructive. So I, I have a, 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 a question. So, um, and, and you have been in a, in a good position to answer this time. Uh, Safari has a method, uh, when I look at the way Safari provides privacy, um, it's doing some kind of machine learning and other things like that. Whereas Firefox has its own system. Google with Chrome has its own kind of avoiding the whole problem system. Um, you can use a privacy browser like Epic or Tor which have other protections, but have less functionality. But could you just, it seems to me in the long run, we're gonna to get to a point where there may be one more or less agreed upon an orthodox way to do um, what probably Brave, Firefox and Safari are all trying to do in their separate and different ways. Um, do you wanna contrast those a little bit and see it? And, and I'm just wondering if you think we end up in some sort of standardized way that they'll all do it. Yeah, I think I think privacy regulators and browser developers are um, all chasing a common goal that they that nobody really has a complete understanding of, and that goal is how can we get our technology and our rules to best implement people's true preferences with what happens to personal information. And people don't know a lot about the details of what information goes where. So where browsers are doing the most constructive steps is uh, making it clear that a trust relationship and a uh, and an information sharing relationship go together. So if you go and visit your favorite news site, then at some point they will say, log in to keep reading. And that's a request by that site. Please give us a little bit of information about you so that we have a... Uh, a piece of information that we can use to show who our audience is. And this is the same thing that, uh, that happens uh, back in the day of print magazines. You'd fill out your subscription card and you'd say, all right, I'm going to send in a little bit of money to this magazine. And really what you're paying for is the printing and the postage. The, the content in the magazine you read is paid for by advertising and those advertisers buy the ads based on knowing the audience that they reach. So people are used to that relationship of saying, hey, here I am, this is, this is me, I wanna read your stuff, I have enough trust in your site to quote, fill out that subscription card. And, and the uh, the very promising directions of web advertising are in taking that, that trust relationship and making it um, 
smoothed off and and have a good user experience for uh, for readers who want to um, uh, who want to set up that relationship with the site they want to read. There are some some issues. Okay, so for example, everybody will be familiar with the button that now pops up on every site that says this site uses cookies. Are you okay with that? And if you click no, then you can't stay logged into the site. You have to log in every time you go there and et cetera, et cetera. And if you say yes, that's your only other option. So you're basically, I mean, we might as well, we don't know what we're saying yes to. Like, what are these cookies doing? You know, right. it's not like, right. it's not like every site gives you a list of, we can do this with it and that it's either cookies or no cookies. And I'll be honest, most of the time, I'm like, I don't want to open up my password manager every time I come and check the weather or whatever it is. So yeah. um, I'm usually going to accept those cookies. And so I think that's a direct reaction. I think it's actually my favorite set of initials for today. The GDPR right, has required that sites um, tell you that they use cookies or something like that. And so, but that, that's fairly new, but ha has it really changed? Do you think that, that that requirement has changed how the web works in a privacy protecting way? Well, here's the, here's the, the, web experience that I had last week that uh, I thought was really interesting. I, I, somebody sent me a link to a site and uh, I opened it on my phone. So of course, all these dialogues are going to cover up basically the entire screen. And first dialogue says, uh, this site uses cookies, please consent to um, this GDPR stuff. And so um, I click to consent. Then there's another, another dialogue. It says, this site wants to send you notifications. Do you want notifications from the site? And since it was literally the very first time I'd ever gotten a link to this site, I obviously clicked no. I have no idea what I'm about to read. Um, then it says, subscribe to our newsletter to get updates. Again, very first visit to this site. I don't know what's going to be in their newsletter. So I deny the newsletter. Finally, um, I get past all these layers of JavaScript created dialogues to the actual HTML page. And it says, this article is for our paying subscribers. So right now we've got stacks of miscellaneous dialogues and permissions that are being spewed out at people very early in the process of engaging with the site and not yet tuned to help establish that trust relationship or to um, benefit from that trust relationship when it happens. So there's absolutely no reason why I should have to have a separate dialogue for log into this site with your favorite SSO provider and for accept cookies. If I go to a site and it says, um, we don't know who you are, this is as much as you can see until we know who you are, then um, I, I would be a lot better off if I could hit one button that would handle the um, the consent and the sharing of the actual information because realistically that's what i'm consenting to anyway i'm consenting to hello site this is me here's my info you can go do things with my info do you think a lot of the the multiple pop-ups are okay now we have to ask before we do anything so we have to ask all these things um you know as a as somebody who has had a website, right? I, I, you know, I have all these features. I mean, possibly it could be, you know, I'm probably, I'm trying to programmatically think through what the best way to do this is, right? Like, let's say um, I want somebody to allow notifications, but obviously not at, right at first, because I'm the same thing. I'm like, no, block this site. Why would I want this weird random news site to send me notifications? But um, I think that maybe if, if they accepted a cookie, after a timer or something, you know, they could ask me those things. But I mean, the, I, what I'm not sure of is 
I think that we're going to get numb to all these notifications, right? We're going to get, we're just going to click, we're either going to be yeses, yesers or noers, right? We're going to say yes, 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 or no, 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 no. And then when a site doesn't work, we're like, crap, now what? Now I don't even know how to get the thing because I click no and it's gone now. So I, I just, I hey, worry I, that implementation I, is going to be rough. Let me just uh, jump in on that one a little bit. At least here in California, it is not too much trouble. Maybe just because they go to the trouble. Anywhere it says, you know, big green button, accept our use of cookies. And next to it just when I manage my options or something like that. And if you go into those, almost always it has, here are the necessary cookies, here are performance cookies, and then there's one that's advertising cookies, right? And you switch that to off. Now, and I, I do that on every single website that does that. Now, here's the, the good part is I, have, I still have the use of the site. I don't have to log in every time if a login is required. But so the upside is I have some small amount of faith that they're obeying um, in the sense that they are possibly auditable. I don't know if, they, if anybody's doing the auditing or not, but perhaps. Um, but the, the downside of that is, and this is to me an important thing, is that I have no record at all of that. I mean, other than having taken a screenshot, which by the way, I do. I do keep mm -hmm. screenshots, all of them. But that's because I'm a geek around this thing and you know, most people, nobody else should need to be. But that is a working system. It's a terrible system, but it does work. I mean, it does work. If it, if it does what it says it does, you have successfully opted out in all those sites. That there must be a California sites. thing because I've never seen anything like that. Really? You don't, you never see that? Let me VPN to uh, Michigan and <laughs> take a look. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, I, I, think I see a lot of sites are, are no. Yeah. Maybe I think a lot of sites are on their third generation of GDPR uh, UX. There was the stuff that they rushed out in 2018. Um, there was some other stuff that got cleaned up in order to um, get a little bit uh, better UX. Um, and lately there's been some guidance from the European regulators on what you can make defaults on those consent dialogues and, uh, and how they need to work. So the, the GDPR dialogues that we, that we started getting in 2018 are different from what we're getting now. And I think that as SSO systems and systems like Unified ID that integrate the SSO system with the advertising stack come out that we're going to see a smoother process and we're going to see sites being smarter about not setting the cookie until they've got somebody hooked on the article. You're probably going to show up and instead of saying consent to everything right now, um, you're going to be able to read a little bit before you decide if you want to make that kind of decision. And if, if you remember making a LinkedIn account, when you first log on to LinkedIn, it doesn't tell you type in your entire work history and all your contacts and give us all this info up front. When you first connect to LinkedIn, it wants to get just enough info to get you logged back in and get you started getting some value out of the site. And then they'll nudge you for additional stuff. So LinkedIn is way ahead of web publishers on how to handle data collection and permission. Um, and some of the techniques used in online games where they'll progressively get you sucked into the game and then prompt you to invest additional resources or log yourself in uh, are also things that we're gonna start seeing applied more around the web. So the shareware model <laughs> to websites <laughs> give you a little bit for free. <laughs> Give people, give people enough, um, enough of a reason to stick with it and, um, and platforms that make it, make it easier for, for 
doing A-B testing are going to help out a lot. And, um, and integrations between consent management and single sign-on are going to help a lot. Because right now, you're, the software component that handles letting a user log in with Twitter is different from the component that manages those uh, consent dialogues that lets Doc go through and check mm -hmm. a bunch of boxes that nobody else in the world actually checks. So all, right. all that stuff is, is uh, a, a promising target for integration. So is it fair to say that right now, as far as my data goes, or the data that I share with people, <laughs> but, you know, the <laughs> data about me goes, the cat's out of the bag. My data is out there. It's so in so many places. So right now, the technology aspect of it that I'm using is basically just stopping people from knowing it's me because they already have all my information, unfortunately. So I, I guess if all of these privacy browser extensions and, and browsers that, that, that don't let them know who I am, I guess that's how I'm protecting my privacy now. Is, is that a fair thing to say? I'm, you know, even though all my data is out there, I'm kind of hiding who I am, right? I like go into the internet with a mask on and uh, they don't know it's me, so they don't know how to target me. Is that what, what we're going for with the technology aspect? Well, a lot, of, a lot of the information that's most valuable commercially becomes no longer valuable as it gets stale. So I did a fairly long and involved CCPA right to know process with a company that's bragging on, we've got zillions of data points per user and we're tracking every step of the customer journey. And I'm thinking, okay, great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a CCPA right to know against this company. I'm gonna get all my info. I'm gonna find out all, all of what this company knows about me. And so I was really excited to get my, my PDF uh, all encrypted and nicely wrapped up and delivered. I open it up and it's my address from 12 years ago and a yeah. Boolean for whether I'm dead or not. And <laughs> it was disappointing. So, so yes, it was disappointing. Yes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of information out there that people pay money for, but they pay money when it's fresh. So, so your current information might be out there in circulation, but as your data management gets better, then you're going to have a better control on the fresh info that's actually worth something. What about harvesting public data? For example, I tweet everything. I'm, I'm a, I just, I tweet everything. And so that's public data. I mean, it, you know, it's out there for anybody to see at any time. So, I mean, that's completely fair game for a company to use to target me. Correct. I mean, if, if I were looking for what I should sell to Sean, I'd go to, you know, twitter.com forward slash Sean Powers because he tweets every day about the stupidest things in his life. So, um, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot that a person can do about that apart from not tweeting their life on the internet. Correct. I mean, that's, I mean, that's my own doing. Well, if you want to, if you want to get a little better class of ads, you might want to tweet aspirationally. So somehow, <laughs> somehow the Twitter ad algorithm has decided that I have a thriving medical practice and that I'm in the market for a construction loan for my prime urban hotel site, and that I'm in the market for an F-15 EX uh, airplane. I never get good what Twitter What do you ads. tweet? <laughs> I, I tweet about California privacy stuff, mostly. So you need, a, you need an F-15, all right. Yeah, I think, I, think, I mean, that Don is always like several chess moves downstream with everybody. He's got he's got the move behind the move behind the move, and I think it's impossible for algorithms to figure Don out. <laughs> well, so I think even that probably the difficulty for following Don gets him this upscale stuff. I, I well, think there's be something to that. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of the companies that I 
um, I retweet our unusual, un unusually um, um, direct um, ad tech and martech uh, tweets. And so when companies talk about targeting and uh, and servicing targets, well, that's largely what the F15 EX is about. I think they're they're um, I, I I think that it could be the F15 E that's the one that's supposed mm. to carry uh, carry the the bombs to be used to strike ground targets that could get mixed up with uh, with marketing, and then the EX is like the the next version of the E, but but a lot of um, a lot of close air support and marketing uses the same language to describe what they're doing. Yeah, I, I, I'm just looking at my my Twitter. I'm, I'm getting uh, wine. I was doing the same. I can't find any Motley Fool. Stuff. You're and, welcome uh, for yeah. <laughs> New York Times and Progressive Insurance. Um, but I may have I may have. Uh, turned off everything that might be personal on there just so I get whatever run of tweet, run of Twitter uh, any of these guys buy. Now I've got the Apple card. You can get the Apple card. Um, you know, something. You know, I think um, I'm, I must not be worth targeting because I'm scrolling and scrolling and I haven't come across a sponsored post well, for, for, for the, any kind of advertising. For the longest time on, on Facebook, as little as I was on it, I got almost nothing but ads for under 30 singles, which is completely absurd, <clears throat> you know, but and more of them there are, are better, but I'm pretty sure I have almost everything turned off there um, as well. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Twitter's Mine are all for wrinkle cream. Account. Wrinkle cream. Oh boy. So part <laughs> yeah, of it's wrinkle cream. To, to, to Sean's question <laughs> though, I think in my hanging out at law schools would have heard often about, my complaining about all this stuff is you got to have harms. You got to have like, not just harms, big harms. And a problem for us fighting the ad tech establishment, such as it is, is that the harms they cause are, are so absurd and small in most cases that uh, they're not worth it. I mean, there's anybody, far as I know, you could lay it at the at their doorstep saying you've killed this person or this person got his foot run through a chipper because of something you know there's there's not there's none of that there's just annoyance and and absurdity and silliness while at the same time we have you know surveillance capitalism operating at full volume and and organizing us into tribal groups and basically causing all of the bad things that can happen when you basically incentivize the, the um, you have algorithmic nudging in all cases. The algorithmic nudging is far more dangerous and bad than the advertising that it's done to support. So attacking the advertising is, is not the most effective way to fight the algorithmic nudging, which is the greater harm actually. That actually, there are harms there and they can yeah. be shown, but the advertising itself, eh, not so much. Well, the big, the, the big social, um, uh, big social sites, which may be the thing that brings the the blue America and red America together, is yeah. uh, agreeing that we need to break up Google and Facebook. Um, the those big sites are supported by many individual decisions made by marketers who decide, yes, our marketing budget can be safely spent on whatever heinous stuff happens to be on Facebook or YouTube this week. And so those, those decisions, uh, those, those, those marketing decisions that are made one at a time uh, feed into that, that large scale political risk. And so the more that people can say, I don't want my information used by um big creepy uh, social sites and the more that we can say ad money spent on reaching me there is not as well used as 
money that goes to support, say, independent blogs or uh, legit news sites, then we can we can already make uh, a change. So what we, we could ask Don, where do you think we'll be in five years? Well, there's it's kind of a survival question. Um, if if surveillance marketing keeps growing and can outcompete uh, civilized society, then then we end up in uh, yet another dystopia. But the good thing about uh, internet news is that we we keep finding out about dystopias and we keep beating them. Um, the the uh, crypto export uh, dystopia was was uh, us against uh, the governments of the world trying to get control of of encryption and that didn't happen. Uh, uh, the DRM dystopia was independent software against giant uh, copyright holding software uh, companies and, and media companies. Uh, that one ended up not happening. And essentially the, the surveillance marketing dystopia is the entire free world against a few overgrown mailing list brokers with air on chairs. So I think these, <laughs> these, these kids today have it easy in the dystopia department. <laughs> Why does everyone have one of those expensive chairs? I mean, that's a whole topic for another podcast, but everyone they're, has them. They're I feel really like it might, good. I, I have to I know say, they're really good, but they're good. I don't like them as well as I like the Ergon chair, which is the the one with cushions, real cushions that came before it. That was uh, that was Herman Miller's first hit chair, and then they were. Yeah, no, I remember. There well, are, I mean, I don't remember the time it was designed. I studied yeah. history of design. It's a long story. In my here's a here's life. a fun anyway. little minor hack search for Herman Miller air on chairs anywhere on Craigslist. And you will find hundreds of them being sold by, by people who have picked them up out of dead companies in high, in tall buildings mm. <laughs> everywhere, because even pre COVID, I mean, there's so many of those things fl flooding the market and they're all 40, $450. doesn't matter what they're going to be 450 bucks. Knew they were twice oh, that or hot. more. But yeah, hot tip. That's good hot stuff. tip. Yeah, a lot of those. It's like I I, I was I was at a, this I dumpster dove at a a dumpster behind one of those office buildings in Santa Barbara that had I swear the entire it was a small dumpster but still you know like six foot square, absolutely filled with with HP keyboards and mice, <laughs> nothing else, just HP keyboards and mice. And I guess the computers went somewhere else. I don't know, but the HV keyboards and mice were all in there. I took about five of them. I've got one upstairs here in the house I'm borrowing. In fact, my mouse. Anyway, sorry, I took us off on a complete tangent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a, no, I took you off on a bigger tangent. Yeah. No, I yeah, think happens. I think in five years, we're going to be talking about a different internet dystopia story. And surveillance <laughs> marketing will still be there, but it won't be the the threat that people are making it out to be now. Yeah. It, it might be. Well, that's how is the Trump got back? <laughs> no, that'll be a, a new a new social network, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Probably being built right now. Anyway, well, thank. I think. I think. Um, yeah, we we have hopefully given people a lot to think about, and as always, let's. Uh, I would encourage everybody to reach out to us with feedback, uh, questions comments, concerns, everything. Uh, you can find Being us at Reality. Social security numbers. Yes, give us. Uh, address. Yeah. <laughs> your uh, purchasing habits, um, your credit score. Uh, yeah, send us all of that. Um, you can find us at reality2cast.com. That is the number two in the URL. You can sign up for our newsletter. I did not mention that at the beginning, but I'm going to mention it now. Uh, yeah, so, so please get in touch. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you and, and, uh, and coming up with some good questions for Don for next time. <laughs> um, and thank you so much, Don, Marty, for joining us and Sean Powers for joining us and Doc for always showing up every week. Uh, this was fun. It was. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the show.